Hey listeners, it's Andrea. Today, we think Timison is kind of the cutest. Loxana is actually not as hateable as usual, and we ask the question, what would you do in the Kalon's place? Hang out with us. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Reese. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Today, we're talking season four, episode 22, Half a Life. This episode was written by Ted Roberts and Peter Allen Fields and directed by Les Landau. Loxana Troy is back. So that's the worst news of the day. Bum, but bum, this bum. Ep- oh, wait, oh, wait. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> it kind of is. Okay, but like this episode is not terrible. So, eh, all right. So Loxana falls in love with Dr. Timison. A Kalon scientist who is attempting to test his theories of stellar ignition in the hopes of saving his world's dying star. The experiment fails, and Loxana encourages Timison to continue his research, but as he is about to turn 60 years of age, he prepares instead for a ritual suicide. According to Timison's cultural tradition, his people voluntarily choose euthanasia to prevent the aged from becoming a burden on the younger generation. Sharice, this episode was such a like a pleasant surprise and so much Mm -hmm. deeper than like I thought it would be so Mm -hmm. listeners before we reviewed this episode Sharice and I both were like oh my god Luxana's back so that's horrible but Mm -hmm. is this the episode where she's gonna get married like nude and like she and Alexander are in a mud bath weird nude which is so fucking weird (laughs) and it turns out that's not this one so we still get to look forward to that and by look (laughs) forward we mean like like hate every second that comes closer when we have to review that episode. But I think that's, that, I feel like that's probably like in two seasons from now. So I think we've got time. Um, I will say my initial thoughts because I thought it was that episode was like, Oh, not another Loxana episode. But by the time yeah. we got to the end of this episode, legit, this was my favorite Loxana episode ever. This was the, the only episode I can recall where I'm not just like completely irritated by her every time she opens her mm-hmm. mouth. Like she just seemed like a very normal for lack of a better word person, yeah. like not super like irritating and pushy. And I mean, she was very, you know, she was still herself, but I really enjoyed <laughs> her in this episode. I, I could stand her in this episode. Yeah. Okay. I have a lot of the same feelings about this. Um, I did not expect this episode to be this episode. I thought it was the one where she gets married, like Mm -hmm. nude. Um, so I was really not looking forward to it. And then halfway through, I was like, okay, there's no like marriage stuff. Wait a minute. So wait, so which one is this? I think that Loxana, this is my favorite Loxana Troy episode by far. I had totally Mm -hmm. forgotten about this one. And she does steamroll in and she has her her very irritating self at the beginning. But I think she really serves a lovely purpose of acting as the audience. Like Mm, she's the audience. mm -hmm. Picard and company all know the prime directive. You can't interfere with anybody's culture. But she like is falling in love with this person very quickly and realizing that he's going to have to commit suicide in like four days when he turns 60. And she's asking like some very legitimate questions that like any one of us would ask, Mm -hmm. you know, not having traveled the stars and not being tied to like Starfleet's like rules of conduct where we're like, wait, why do you have to do this? Like, you're still very much like a a, a, like viable man. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think that she actually played that role really, really well. Um, And I actually really liked her in this role after like the first 
third of the episode <laughs> it's over yeah because you know she's just trying to seduce like every man and then when she starts to create this like connection with this person then she's like much more of like a normal person mm-hmm. yeah yep i agree so when the episode opens up um we we first see picard tiptoeing through the hallway to try to avoid Luoxana, which <laughs> was just the best like i just i was like what is he doing he's like looking both ways <laughs> Stepping out as quietly as he can. I'm pretty sure the whole like floor of the Enterprise is carpeted or something and doesn't make sounds anyways. Nope, but he's like not at all. towing in. And then the second his feet cross the threshold, it's like Picard. And you're like, oh. Jean-Luc, yes. Well, can yeah. I say this episode actually opens before that scene? It's Counselor Troy's like ship's counselor's log. My mother is on board. And I was like, that's where you should have cut to credits. Because <laughs> that was like the biggest bum, 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 bum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when we see scared Picard is what I called him. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, this is like scared Picard. And of course, Picard is the ultimate diplomat. So she takes his arm and then forces herself to walk arm in arm with him. And he's like, um, um, Luoxana, we've got some other stuff. Luoxana, uh, ma'am, madam, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. He's trying to like ma'am her mm-hmm. and she's all over him. And I just, you know, I will, I've said it in past episodes. And the last time we saw Luoxana was Menage Troy, I think. So that Ugh. left a really bad taste in yeah. our mouths. Yeah. Collectively like the world's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, She's all over him. And I think that it's a couple of things. Like I do applaud that like a woman of a certain age can still be like virile and like Mm -hmm. all that, you know, and very like sexy. So I think that that's great. But I also hate the like men writing women bit where like, if she's an older woman, she's got to be pushy. She's got to be shrill. Mm -hmm. She's got to be all these things where it's like, no, she doesn't. Like, I think they, they played her up so much to make her like unlikable for everybody. Oh, Could you imagine having and her over for a dinner party? She would be like the worst. Yeah, no, I mean, she might have great stories, but like, I would, I would be like, how, how many more minutes left in this part? Oh, we're just now starting the first appetizer. Oh, no, <laughs> dinner's canceled. Dinner. It all got burned. Sorry Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming <laughs> by. Yeah. So I, I feel like at any age though, the pushiness is not cute. And I will agree. Like, I think I, I totally appreciate Luoxana being super sexy and just so in charge of her feminine wiles at, as a grandmother, like I love that. And when she's pushy, I hate that. And I don't care what age you are. That's super annoying. (laughs) Like if she was 20 and she's hanging onto Picard's arm and I know you were just thinking about me and all of that. It's like, ugh, just like, can he just walk down the hall without having to tiptoe because he's afraid you're there? The answer is no. Yeah. So we, so next we end up in the transporter room which she has accompanied Picard to because against his will. <laughs> yeah. Because why? We don't know. We know these, these Troy women just love themselves some transporter rooms. So <laughs> I was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> yeah. Because the Troy women are like, Oh, you're going to go hang out in a transporter room. I'll pop in with you. I'm game. So Dr. Timison shows up on the transporter pad and immediately Luoxana is like, Oh my dear, let me take you around the ship. And one arm gets swapped for another and she's pushing herself thoroughly over Dr. Timison. And I was like, but why just because he's male? Like I didn't understand Again, why. Yeah. There was if, no re- if rhyme you, or reason. If you have a penis, she's going to be all <laughs> over you. And I'm like, ah, it's just, it just makes her like so one dimensional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really, really hate about her as a character. Mm-hmm. I uh, agree. I will say 
pausing for a second to talk about some of the makeup and costume choices going on here. Luoxana, mm-hmm. as always, stunning, stunning, stunning. I want her dress times three. I love the yep. sweetheart top only on the one side with the sheer sleeve. And I've never even seen something like that. That was gorgeous. And that her, her, um, like sash became a big bow on the side. I was like, ah, it is mm-hmm. a bow. I mean, everything about it just made me smile. <laughs> and just, I mean, you guys can hear me smiling right now. I was like, it's a bow. I mean that the costuming was just fantastic as always with her. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, Dr. Timmonson's makeup did not hold up well underneath the new HD that we currently have. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. back I in agree. the 90s, it would have been a really cool, interesting look. It would have been a little bit, you know, um, from far away and a little bit blurry. You would be like, what's a, what exactly is going on there? But with this HD, I can see the prosthetics as they've been applied to the skin and like yes. the lines that were painted or drawn in. I don't know if it was makeup yes. or Sharpie yeah. or what. Agreed. And it just looked like his veins were poisoned or something. I don't know. Yes. It looked like blood poisoning to me, like septicemia is what it looked like where I was like, Oh, okay. I remember seeing Timison as a character when I was younger and like my rewatchings of TNG and thinking like, okay, that's all right. But yeah, I think under HD, it's like, Mm, it doesn't yeah. quite hold, doesn't up. hold up. And then in the later scenes, when we see him a little bit more undressed with Loxana, it's very obvious that they just sort of like sharpied or markered or painted mm-hmm. the, like there were no, the so veins on his forehead, the yeah, on his forehead, they were like prosthetics with veins on them, but on the chest and the neck, it was just, it was just like, sharpie. Sort of, it looked, it looked like, yeah, it looked like watercolor or something where I was like, mm, that doesn't really look that great, but now I totally missed that Loxana sash became a bow and I've never been like a fan of bows. So I'm like, I'm not surprised that I didn't notice it, but yeah, all of her dresses, all of her costumes, the costuming department, what a fun like departure. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, you know, they're making these very futuristic, very minimalist looks, not a lot of embellishment on a lot mm-hmm. of alien uniforms with the exception of maybe the Klingons. So right. when Loxana comes aboard, it's like the Empress is coming. And she really is Star Trek royalty because she was Gene Roddenberry's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for them to get to make these like fantastic, like one of a kind gowns is just stunning piece of like architecture. I think it was fabulous, 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 fabulous. Um, Agreed. So here's here's what we know about Dr. Timison. He is of the Kalon species. They are isolationists, almost to the point of being xenophobic. So they don't have a whole lot of contact with anybody. I think Picard had said that the Federation working with the Kalons is as close to like a first contact as you can get, which I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And the reason he's working with the Federation is because he's doing research to save his dying star. And the star has only a you know, a few years However left long before. Yeah. Yeah. Before Maybe like another two. thousand years or something, but in the life of a son, that's not a lot of time. Oh no. I think, I think it was like, it's going to be unstable enough that like Kalon will not be habitable within like five to 10 years or something oh, like wow. that. It was like really, really close. Yeah. So it was like eminent that he did this work. And so Starfleet had like been contacted by the Kalons and like spent several years mapping stars and finding a star that was close enough to their home start so that he could do some tests and studies on it to see if that will work um, as we're going to find out. So he's, he's working to save his dying star. Luoxana threw himself, threw herself just all over him. Okay. And this is, this is the moment where I was like, 
my blood curdled when she came busting in. So Timison and the whole engineering team are working in main engineering, like on the, yes. on the main engineering oh, table. You know what? Right, right before the engineering, they went, the, I just want to pop, pop in this part. Cause I thought it was really funny that you see Lawaxano on the bridge, supposedly waiting for Troy, but really waiting to get another glimpse of Timison. Oh, that's right. And, that's right. and she's like trying to push all the buttons and Worf is like, stop, stop. And I just thought, wow, there's actually someone more annoyed than Picard. <laughs> by Lawaxana and it's Worf. He's just like, Ugh. and I was like, this is pretty funny to watch. Like, why are you here? Stop pushing buttons. Go away. And yes. so she... also you're about to launch torpedoes like into space. Yes. What's wrong with you? Yes. Get out of here, girl. So anyways, <laughs> next scene. Yes. We're in engineering and I felt the same way. So keep going. Cause I was like, what the, what is going on right now? Yes. They are, excuse me. They are knee deep in like stellar cartography research or whatever it is they're doing. And Waxana comes busting in to main engineering, disrupts their work, does the like movie. knocks off every single data pad from their table. Who from the does like that? knocks them all to the ground. And Who I was does like, that? did she, did she watch one too many late eighties movies where somebody like <laughs> clears a desk to, to like have sex on it or something where she was just like, whoosh, she like knocked everything to the ground. It's like, excuse me. <laughs> so that's what Lost yeah, does. And yeah, she just lunch. busts everything. To, she, all of this for Mr. Home to spread the world's tiniest picnic blanket, <laughs> which is like a picnic pillowcase essentially mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and lays down some food for him. And I got to say, Dr. Timison is intrigued by her he's like well i've never met anybody like this Mm -hmm. and she does make him laugh and i think that that's actually kind of cute because everybody else was like really alive right like yeah jordy's like we're kind of trying to work here and i was like jordy isn't this your is this your house like this is this is a note to self install some locks we need some locks on these doors because people can be busting in This right here is why main engineering should not be just an open floor plan. Yes. Get some public tours. You know what? You know what I want to see when Mr. Home comes around the corner with a picnic basket with Loxana close in tow, start bringing down that blast door and going, go, 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 and doing the Jordy maneuver and then doing a tuck and roll under the door and then being like, oh, sorry, you're sealed in. I'm so level 10 force field activate. Yeah, and she's like, I'm the holder of the sacred rings of chalice or whatever. <laughs> like, no, yes. girl, we can't this, hear you. This scene was crazy, and and Data's just like, oh, what an interesting development. He's like, well, it's true, humans do need to eat, and Jordy's just like, stop, stop right there. Do not, not be on her YouTube. side. Yeah, but I, I just thought someone should definitely have called, have have said, no, this is not appropriate. Um, maybe try 20 minutes in 10 forward. But no one yeah. did. They just let her do whatever she wants to do. So that's Have you what called Guinan and just made a res? Like, just made yeah. a reservation. Yep. And plus, there's Turns always out- tables. So you could just have yeah, one down there say. anytime. Yeah. How does that work, by the way? Because there's 1,012 people aboard and like 10 tables and always lots of open tables. So the food at 10 forward are probably not that good. Plus, I mean, <laughs> it's got 1, one star on the 1,000 people should be working most of the time in their shifts. So I think that's it's true. just. They shouldn't all be going to 10 forward at the same time. Like who's running the ship? <laughs> Let's not mention the fact that the ship could literally run itself. We're just going to, yeah, no, like you don't need true. any of these people. You know what? Doesn't literally matter need who, one whatever. person. And it could be a hologram to run the and entire ship. Yeah, no, it's fine. You know what? Fucking Barclay ran the ship from the holodeck. Okay. <laughs> like you don't even need all these. People. It did. All what you need is one big here? brain. 
<laughs> and some laser beams. That's all you need. <laughs> anyway, so Timison is like kind of delighted by Luxana, and she is just all over him. Um, and we see these little bits where um, she walks him. She walks him to like her quarters and invites him inside. And he very, very graciously and politely like declines. And she's like, okay, good night then. And the next morning we see he's now running this big star test with Jordy in main engineering. And it looks like it's going to work. He's calibrated the photon torpedoes to do some kind of something, mm-hmm. you know, Trekkie. And it looks like it's going to work. And it's, you know what I got to say? That's that little scene is such good science fiction right we've got these photon torpedoes that go into the core of this mm-hmm. sun and we're seeing like and really they detonate great... in a scattered way to re- yeah. revitalize the sun by heating up the core you're like okay okay yeah okay Calicus, okay i yeah. can believe i can believe that for a 220 million degree kelvin thing like five to a part to photons are going to make all that difference but whatever sure, why not it's fine we see the really great like l cars panels with the little bar graphs that are kind of increasing as the temperature is going up. We see shots like on the bridge, you know, where data's reading mm-hmm. off like information and Jordy is like reading off data. It's really good, right? You see the and sun that's like, like a darker color and getting a brighter color. And it's like, yes, Ooh. yes. And it's like the music. I don't know if you caught this. And if you guys are watching these episodes, go back and watch that scene. The music is like hopeful. Mm. science fiction music it's exactly what you want where it's like it's working it's working oh my gosh and then suddenly we see the thing we don't want to see which is the concerned and puzzled look on Jordy's face mm-hmm. where it's like uh-oh this isn't working and i'll be honest with you i didn't remember this episode at all because i thought it was mm-hmm. the naked mud, mud bath episode yeah. so i didn't remember this one at all so as i was watching i was sitting there going does it work or does it not work because i know this episode is about this relationship between Lawaxana and Timison. So the sun working or not working is like kind of an, an aside. So I really didn't know which thing was going to happen. And I was like, do I want it to work or do I not want it to work? Which is going to be more mm-hmm. interesting. Like what, what are they going to do? And I, and I kind of found myself as they stretched it out longer and longer because they were trying to get up to 220, I think. So they were like 118, 187, you know, and I was like, come on, come on. Yeah. I was like, no, yeah. I do. I do want it to work. And then like, and then it all, it'll just be about the relationship. And then it doesn't work. And I'm like, oh, man, because I knew their relationship wasn't going to work at the end. So then yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. two things that didn't work. What a bummer. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was really sad because the temperature kept rising and rising and rising. And the whole effing sun went supernova. Yeah. Thank God. They were like, warp two, get us out of here. And by the way, I don't know if you saw this, but the warp two looked like one quarter impulse. Like you see the sun going <laughs> supernova and the enterprise is like, like you know like just (laughs) (laughs) it was so slow i wanted to see the like you know like sound effect that the enterprise does Mm -hmm. when they go to warp and i was like are you guys gonna hit is there a delayed do you have a countdown like what's going on (laughs) luckily they got out of there and i was like i really hope that no other planet was really relying on this one star to be their son because you would have just killed it but whatever Mm -hmm. okay there were a couple of really, really heartbreaking moments in this episode. Mm-hmm. Timson's face when he saw that it didn't work and that the Federation had spent three years searching for a comparable son to do these tests on. Mm-hmm. That was really heartbreaking to see that. Yeah. And, and again, for me, not knowing what was going to happen and really wanting it to work out, I, I felt it yeah. too. I was like, come on, because they're not going to find another son laying around here anytime soon. 
And that really looked like it was going to work. And you did all the simulations and whatnot. So if it didn't work, now it's kind of back to the drawing board because it's what went wrong. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, and this is science, but also sometimes science takes a really long time and it's, and it's really impossible to do. And, you know, Lawaxana does ask this question of him earlier. Why not just move? Why don't your people move? If they have known for thousands of years that their star was dying, they had plenty of time to move. They still have time to move. So mm-hmm. why not? And he gave this answer that they always give on Star Trek, which is, this is my home. And I will never leave my home. It's my identity. And I actually wrote this yeah. in my notes to ask you because I thought like, I mean, maybe it's just like a writer, a writer's cop out just to be like, ah, oh, it's my home. You know, but I, but I thought, but mm-hmm. they have said this so many times, right? Do you remember with yeah. the Shaliak and they were trying to evacuate them before they got exterminated? Yes. They're like, it's our home. And like time yeah. and time again, they're like, it's our home. We're not leaving. So I wondered what would you do if you had to, if you were in this scenario, now this is bigger than we've got termites, right? This is like, our yeah. sun is dying and we have to move yes. to another planetary system, you know, yeah. would you try to stay and figure it out? Or would you be like, nah, we should leave now. Granted, it may not be your choice, but let's pretend it is. Okay. Well, <laughs> pretending that it's my choice. Um, I find that when people say this is my home, I'm not leaving is usually when you, when there's like a tornado warning or a hurricane warning. And then the next <laughs> yes. thing you see that house is flat and those people are dead. Right. And it's like, you could have, <laughs> You could have left and like, come. you like live to fight another day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, or you see people like, and this used to just drive me nuts. Where like first responders were putting their lives at risk for people who were climbing up on their roofs during floods because they had all this warning time. And they're like, this is my home. I'm not leaving. And they like, now they're trapped up on the roof being like, help, help. And people are literally risking their lives and dying to save your dumb ass off that roof. When you have lots of time to leave, like mm-hmm. that for me feels like it feels very similar to me Mm. where I think that like, I understand that this is your home, but I would rather have a life than a home Mm. and you can make a home somewhere else. But for people who have like families and children and grandchildren, they can make a new home somewhere else. Wouldn't you rather ensure that they have a place to make a home instead of standing by a, a pile of sticks and bricks that like, have memories for you. Like you can mm. still hold those memories. Mm-hmm. You can build a new home. That's, that's what I think. I mean, as a scientist, I would say we're going to conservatively like put in X many years of research. And if the research doesn't yield any kind of result, now it's time to move into like plan B, which is starting to like evacuate the planet. Yeah. As a scientist, I would do both as a scientist. I'd be like, okay, well, our sun only has X number of years till whatever. Yeah. So we're going to start looking for a new planet the same way they reached out to the Federation to look for a new star. Yes. I would, we're going to look for a new planet. We are going to evacuate the planet regardless. And we're going to continue research to revitalize our star. So that way we can come back or maybe we will have so many breakthroughs that we'll get it done before we even have to leave, but we're not going to wait until our star is three years from going supernova to be like, Oh, what should we do? It's our home. Like that doesn't make any help. S- help. Yeah. Make any mm-hmm. sense. Like I, I would have definitely done both. And I, I realize that resources can be scarce in our current lifetime, but this is Star Trek. So resources yeah. aren't scarce. They, they can do yeah. whatever they want. And also, plus the Federation. Because you have an help. Yeah. Because you have an abundance of resources and people, you can have teams and teams of scientists looking for solutions and teams and teams of people looking for other habitable planets and like coordinating evacuations. Like yeah, you can do both. yeah. You could totally do both. Yeah. It, it, I do feel like it's a writer cop out. And I think that's a really good question. Um, 
Yeah, his but to go back to Timison, his face. I mean, this is why I really, really liked this character. He was clearly heartbroken that his experiment did not work, but he still took time to thank the captain and the mm-hmm. crew for all of their hard work. And he had this kind of little like brief smile where he was like, thank you, you know, and then the rest mm-hmm. of his face sort of fell. And it was like, this is a good man. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that about him, that he was like heartbroken and took the time to thank them Which for like everything do. they've done. It's oh, hard to it do is, when you're heartbroken. It's really to- hard. To really be grateful for anything, especially in his situation, as we yes. find out later that he's, you know, near death. We don't even know that now. We just know he's kind of bummed, but we think yes. maybe he's sad because his his star is dying. And then yeah. maybe he's extra sad because his experiment he's dedicated his entire life to didn't work. So those yeah. are reasons enough he, to be super sad. That. He did say that yeah. in the observation lounge, like I've worked 40 years on this, like this has been my entire life. And it's mm-hmm. like, geez, Louise. And you know what? Loaxana does what, what Loaxana does and what any of us would really do. This is the first time that I feel like Loaxana could be any one of us. Right. And she finds him in 10 forward and she tries to cheer him up. And he's like, I wish we would have met years earlier. And he's, and she's like, well, what difference does a couple of years make? And he explains to her, he's on his way to perform the resolution. In Kalon society, when a person reaches the age of 60, they perform this ritual suicide. It prevents the elderly from becoming like a burden on the rest of society and leaving it up to chance, like when someone might die. And I I agree. I think when you have sort of like this planned time of ending, it gives you a focal point to focus on. And like, there's some comfort in knowing what's coming and not knowing when you're going to die leads to like a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. Not that I think that we should do ritual suicide. Like I don't agree with that, but I could see why some alien societies, because I mean, we can make up anything we want about that, right? right? Like it's Star Trek. Like I could see why a culture might be written that way. And it brings to light, like a really important topic as to like, when do people stop being in air quotes useful? Yeah, there were a lot of good points made by both sides throughout this episode. And I thought they both had great points. I didn't think either one was like a silly argument. One of the things he said, uh, aside from, uh, okay, going back to what you said about the having a focal point, it just made me think of my friends who I know who've had C-sections when they were pregnant versus Mm -hmm. my friends, like planned C-sections, not emergency C-sections, planned C-sections versus my friends who just had the baby whenever the baby was quote unquote ready. Like. Mm -hmm. One scenario is a thousand times more stressful than the other scenario, right? The person who has the planned C-section, they're like, oh, my baby's going to be born on April 25th at 8 a.m. You know, like Mm -hmm. they know what it's going to happen. They've got their bags packed. They've got everything ready. And, you know, regardless of or not, if things go smoothly in the actual operation, all the stuff leading up to it, it's like you said, there's a focal point. There's an order. It's organized. um, It's planned. It's expected. But for most women don't opt to do C-sections just for funsies. Um, so a lot of women yeah. just have it naturally whenever, whenever the baby's ready. But then that leads to all these contractions that are like false labor pains and running to the hospital in the mm-hmm. middle of the night and all this stuff when the baby's not ready, the baby's not yeah. ready. And then suddenly the baby's ready and it's a really inconvenient time and your water breaks and you have to rush to the hospital. And like the stress level is like really, really high because none of that is known. And that is exactly what it's like when people are able to live however long they're supposed to live. It's like that having a baby, you don't know when it's going to end. And it always feels like a scramble versus having that planned time. Another thing that he said that I was like, wow, that really hit home for me personally, as far as like how I live my life is 
he said, I want to go out on a high note, basically, you know, like Mm -hmm. I want to go out at the height of my accomplishments as a scientist. Also, because Loxana was saying, you're still strong. You're still virile. You're still like, you're not feeble or anything yet. And he was like, exactly. I don't want to get that way. I don't want to become feeble. And I actually think there's a lot for um, family members that I've had who have, who have had Alzheimer's and other conditions that make you kind of forget who you are. And to me as an intellectual, losing my capacity to think clearly is like the, it's worse than losing a limb because it's like the one thing that I've depended on my whole life for my life, for my income, for my, for everything, for my personality, like so much of my identity is wrapped up in that. So to not have that feels like I just wouldn't even be me anymore. And that's not something I would want. So I, I, that really hit home to me to say, like, I want to choose when I go out and I want to go out when I'm still strong, when I'm still, when I'm accomplished, when I'm at the height of my career and all these things. So I feel like people will remember the best parts of me and not the withered shriveled yes, thing that yeah. I may become if I go on forever and ever and ever, which by the way, not everybody becomes shriveled, <laughs> but enough people yeah. do to make that like a thing. So yeah. I don't yeah. know. That was something I had never, ever thought of before. Yeah. I mean, I, I really do understand that. And like, this is where this episode really takes a turn from like sci-fi with Loxana being really irritating hmm. to I think true science fiction with like deeper conversations and like deeper meaning behind the episode. This is this episode for me was surprisingly deep mm-hmm. yep. because, you know, we went into it thinking it was this like dumbass episode with the naked <laughs> wedding, um, which now you guys don't even need to listen to our review of that episode. Cause you know what we're going to say. That is it. the review of that episode. That is we're already it's done. Gonna be, it's going to, it's going to be 10 minutes long and it's going to be 10 minutes ranting about how this woman is in her sixties naked in a bathtub with a little boy in a mud bath. It's just fucking weird. But that, so like I thought, <laughs> so thanks so much for listening. Um, I thought that this episode just became really deep immediately. Like mm-hmm. Waxana is many of us. She has this, she, she goes to Picard and she's like, you need to educate the Kalons. There, there's more to life than living past 60. Like your life isn't over when you hit 60, but the prime directive forbids the Federation from trespassing on any culture, mm-hmm. you know, or like any cultural stuff that they're doing. Right. So it's like, I can't tell them how to run their culture or what's wrong or right, because that's a set of constructs that we've decided as a society is right or wrong, mm-hmm. but it's not for us to tell other societies how they should live like their beliefs. Right. Mm-hmm. And then still Waxana does what any of us would do. She has a spectacular temper tantrum when chief O'Brien refuses to transport her down <laughs> to the surface and get the Kalons a piece of her mind. Right. And Deanna comes in because Deanna's fucking hanging around transport rooms and she pops in Picard called her because she stormed out of the ready room and we're like I want because she said if you're not going to do something about it I'll do something myself and as soon as she Uh leaves the ready room Picard's like Picard to Troy (laughs) yeah mom's on the loose can I see you for a minute yes Yes. so Troy finds her in in the good old transporter room (laughs) where they like to hang out and tries to talk her yeah tries to talk her down from the ledge and poor chief O'Brien he's just like she came in here. I don't know what to do. She's just ranting and raving. I'm I, not going to beam her anywhere. Yeah. And I like <laughs> and how he, he like puts the little lock on before he yeah. just sneaks out. <laughs> I was like, yes. As soon as Luoxana started crying, Chief O'Brien did what any man does and he finds any excuse to leave the room. So he was like, I'm going to go check the pattern buffers over there. And he's like, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep. <laughs> and locks the transporter. <laughs> and it goes, eh, eh. 
Good to see we have some kind of security measures on the ship. At least if they don't have locks on the doors, at least they have locks on the freaking transporters. (laughs) Good lord. So not the weapons cabinet though, but the transporters. (laughs) First things first. (laughs) Broca Danar, by the way, is going to be giving a TED talk on how to how to steal how to steal weapons from the open weapons locker and multiply them. Yeah. Like bacteria. Oh Um, oh, God. So Luoxana goes to see Timison and she's like, I'll never understand the ways of your world. Mm -hmm. And she's really heartbroken because she deeply cares about this person. And they do have sex, which I was like, I immediately wanted to make a joke about like they have old people sex or whatever, but I was like, no, I applaud it. Like, we need to normalize older people having sex. It's a normal thing to do. And I think it's really, really sad. And maybe it's just a sign of the fact that I'm getting older. Like I'm in my late thirties, but like I teach high school students who see being in your late thirties as being in like your late seventies. It's mm-hmm. like, you're treated like shit because you're older. And it makes me really sad. Cause it's like, Hey, I still have a ton of value and like, mm-hmm. fuck you by the way. But you know, you can't tell your students that. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I may want for to. all the parents who are listening we haven't told your students that yet no no <laughs> waiting for them to graduate so yeah. when they're adults then it's fine but as they're when they're kids no that's totally inappropriate um not appropriate <laughs> but I mean I think I think it's lovely that like it shows them in the like afterward you know and she's kind of watching him sleep mm-hmm. and he's waking up and he's like how long have you been there let me make you a cup of tea it's very lovely to see like elderly intimacy. I was like, I think that's really sweet. I, and beyond elderly I intimacy. I agree. Beyond elder intimacy. It's just really nice to see LaWaxana care about someone other than herself. Yes. That is what I loved about it. She was actually, I mean, j- just to see her actually, maybe it's a bit self-serving, which she kind of talked about when she was with her daughter. Like maybe this is just kind of for me that I've been doing this, but still it looks like she's actually caring for another person. The the fact that she's watching him sleep is like a selfless act. She's just enjoying his presence. It's not because she's getting anything. It's not because he's lavishing her with compliments and all these different things. She just enjoys him. Now I will say that I still don't understand how they fell so deeply in love in a matter of like days. Um, but maybe you just know what you, you know, what you want when you're at a certain place in your life, you've experienced enough things to know what you want very quickly. I will give them that. And also I thought he seems like not quite her type, but maybe opposites attract, right? He's like the strong and silent type and she's the loud in your face type. I, but at this point, so before I had a lot of big question marks, but when we get to the scene where she's watching him sleep, I was just like, okay, this is really sweet. Like all Mm -hmm. those questions went away. And I was just like, this is really sweet. And if they only have four days together, I hope it's four days like this. Yeah. Yeah. And just like really sweet and appreciating every moment that they have. Um, Now they do get into kind of this fight about how, you know, why, why do you have to do this? And she asks some really great questions that I think the audience wants to know, like why, why 60, like why not 62 or 58? Mm -hmm. Like somebody could be like completely, you know, disabled and like totally sickly and ill when they're like 45 or, or like there are people who are in their eighties and are still extremely like, you know, productive. So mm-hmm. like why? And like it seems kind arbitrary. of explain that like on Kalon two, yeah, it's this very arbitrary number on Kalon two, 
you know, they lived at a time before, like the way we live now, where it's like death can happen whenever. And like you stop being useful whenever. And it's really hard on the families to not know like when you're going to pass or where, you know, and or how, or will you be alone? Yes. I work at a school, um, where it was a year before it was a year or two before I started working there, but a teacher who worked there, who was like 32 and had just gotten married eight months before dropped out of a heart attack in his classroom after school one day. Mm. And like the custodians were doing like, you know, the end of the day, like locking up all the doors and found him there. Mm. And it was like, Oh my God. Right. And to think that like this man's wife was like, we're married. Like you're not going to die alone. You know, it's like a lot of people think like, I want to be married because I don't want to die alone, which is really, really sad reason to get married. But like this sort of proved like he was married happily and died alone and there was mm. nobody with him. And it's mm-hmm. like, so for these family members on Kalon to think that this might happen to the people that they love, it's kinder in their culture to like have this ritual where like your loved ones can all be there together and you can all say mm-hmm. goodbye together. And it's and, a celebration of life. Yeah. And Timison says like, I watched both of my parents um, resolution and it was beautiful. And that's what I want, you know? And I was like, Oh, you know, so it, it really makes us very, very sad. There's a now, lot of positive connotations associated with yes. death in this culture, which is yes. so unusual for us yeah. as Americans. I mean, there's just so many things that he said where he was saying like, it's beautiful and this is what I want and having family and all these things like the family part makes sense, but just seeing beauty in the end of a life, especially a life that we may feel has been cut down too soon is mm-hmm. just, it's so foreign. It's so, it's so opposite of the way that we are trained to think. And that's what I think made this episode so interesting and like really, really good. I didn't need a yeah. space battle this time. That was yeah, this was no, a there good was, conversation. It was a lovely conversation. And now as things are starting to progress, like Timison starts finding some things that like went wrong with his experiment, right? He he's working with engineering team. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This one reading was like off by a little bit. And then I couldn't explain why this was happening or this other thing was happening. <gasps> Maybe it's that like these three things were like at play that we didn't count on. So he actually does come to Captain Picard and ask for asylum so he could continue his work. And, you know, and- this is kind of spurring off the fact that Loaxana made this really good point during their conversation where she said, you're the best, you're probably the most qualified person in your entire planet to save your mm-hmm. people. You are the yeah. most qualified person. If you're gone, then what happens? It may take forever for people to catch up and it may be too late. And I thought that was a really powerful argument. And yeah. right after that, he starts doing his kind of minority report, figuring stuff out kind of a thing. And she's absolutely right. And he realizes like, which again is beautiful. He's not saying I want to live just because I want to live or I want to live because the walks on his ways are better than my ways or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or even mm-hmm. I want to live because I just fell in love. It's I am the best chance that my people have. And as you said, Andrea, yeah. my legacy, like not all of his people, including his kids, their kids, their kids, their kids like yeah. this. I'm the best chance. I want to live so I can save my people. And that was like such a noble reason to request asylum. Yeah, it absolutely it absolutely is. And Luxana even brought up, you know, she kind of hit him like in the soft spot where she's like your grandchild, how, how long he won't even live to, to long enough to have his own resolution, hmm. you know? And he was like, don't bring my grandchild. It's like, but it's, but it's true. This son will go supernova before your grandchild is old enough to reach his 60th birthday and have this ritual suicide. So 
you know, he tries to talk to Kalon too. And they're like, listen, buddy, you're turning 60 in four days. Your friends and family are all gathering for your resolution. And now you're telling us you're not coming back. Like they end up sending two warships to intercept the enterprise, which, which I I'm thought like, was mm. a bit of an over uh, reaction? reaction to the situation. <laughs> One dude is like, I don't want to have the resolution. And they're like, you know what? You will be resolved one way or another, buddy. Torpedoes. Yeah. (laughs) You can either go willingly or go in pieces. And I felt like that's a bit much. Like, y'all don't have diplomacy on your planet, but I guess not because they don't really interact with other people. So, yeah. And like, I think that science minister might have overreacted a bit too much on a bunch of things because he was like any and all findings that you make from this point forward will be ignored. It's like, even if it's going to save your own star, it's like ignored. Yep. Like, oh, mm-hmm. wow. Okay. Putting Are the fingers in the this? ears. La 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 la. I yes. can't hear you. Yes. And like, this is the turning point for Timison because he realizes that if his life continues, his work dies Mm -hmm. and he's more valuable to Kalon too, dead so that other scientists can like continue to hit the research and save this dying star. And Waxana really wants to fight him on this, but she realizes that like, he's an adult and he makes his own decisions and he's going to do what he must do. It's like a little too little too late. Like Timison has already kind of decided, but in this last ditch effort to like persuade Timison to undergo the resolution, Timison's daughter, Dara comes aboard to speak to him. And it's Michelle Forbes. It's Rolaren. I know she walked in and I was like, it's Ensign Rowe, which I, again, I didn't remember this episode, so I didn't know she had been on the show before as a different character. And I actually loved her like hair thing and stuff. I was like, Ooh, she looks all, she looks very different. She didn't look at all like Rowe. So, and I think that was enough, like, and I think the creepy veins and things helped, but I think her makeup and everything was enough for her to look very different from a Bajoran woman, which is hard to do. Yes. Because when you're like, we've seen some of the actors come back again and again, when they were in full costume, like they were a Ferengi before. And now they mm-hmm. come back looking like Dr. Silar. Yeah, yeah. Looking like something totally different because, because they don't have all the prosthetics on exactly Dr. Silar, who was a Klingon. And then is now a Vulcan. Yeah. But yeah. To see um, Roe. Susie Plaxon. Yeah. To see Roe. Yeah. Susie Plaxon. Sorry. To see Roe be um, like a Kalon, which is mm-hmm. not that different from human, but it's, it's got mm-hmm. some differences. And different then to see her be a Bajoran, which again is not that different from human but it's different enough. I was like, I thought that was a, a really fun thing. And plus she doesn't even come yeah. till season six. So there's enough gap that no yeah. one will remember her having been yeah. on the show, including me. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I think she comes back in season five, actually, which is so? like just a couple of episodes away. Yeah. So that's, which I was like, damn, I guess they must've really liked her because holy moly, they like brought her back really, really fast. Yeah. She comes back in season five, episode three, which is entitled Ensign Row. <laughs> There you go. So, so they bring her back like six episodes from now, which I was like, well, okay. Um, but there it is. Now, as Dara or Dara, she has this like impassioned speech about how, you know, <clears throat> she loves her father. I can't think of you. I can't bear to think of you as dying on some distant planet, mm-hmm. not with us. Like, I love you, but I'm ashamed of you. And then she kind of walks out. While walks on is sitting there going, what, what, what you think is dumb. I was like, girl, yeah. get out of here. This get is a father-daughter moment. Why are you here? Yeah. Like, I know that Timison was like, anything you need to say to me, you can say in front of her. Now, it's one thing for Deanna, who saw this romance blossom over the past week. Yeah, yeah. But Dara hasn't seen any of this. Her father left as a single man. Now, suddenly, he's, like, engaged. What the F? So she's mm-hmm. trying to have a heart-to-heart with her father to really, like, 
beg him to come back home so she can he can be laid beside her mother and she can be laid beside him and all this stuff. And Lawaxana is butting in with her two cents. And I was like, time and place, girl. This is neither. Mm-hmm, like if Timison mm-hmm. is allowing you to even be in this conversation, which is so generous, you probably shouldn't talk because <laughs> Dara doesn't know you for anything. And yeah. you don't really have a voice in this decision. Yeah. So, yeah. but you, you know, really Loxana doesn't doesn't believe in boundaries for herself. <laughs> she but Dara gives her for herself or anything. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was lovely. Yeah, because she was like, "Why don't you butt the fuck out of this yeah. conversation?" She I said, don't how, even know who you are. She said, "How dare you criticize me and my beliefs?" Which I thought was a fair question. And yes. that's when Timison was like, "All right, all right, break it up, ladies, break it up." Yeah. And then yeah. you just see him like burst into tears after Dara <sighs> walks out and. Lawaxana, I don't know. Maybe she was trying to cheer him up again. Or I don't know what, but he was just like, I need to be alone. And you're just like, Ooh, mm, he's made yeah. up his mind. It's, it's made yeah. up right now. This is the moment. Yeah. I, I mean, it was made up before when he was like, he realizes that like, yeah. if his life continues, his work dies, but like right. that so what's was the like point? the final nail on the coffin, you mm-hmm. know, not to make a pun, but it was like, yeah, that was, that was it. And like, he really realizes that he is not the man to forge a cultural revolution. He is not trying to revolutionize nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. He's like, I am going to return to Kalon too. And like, despite their disagreement, Luaxana realizes that like his decision, it's, it's his to make. You know, and like, and she also, I think that like, it was lovely that like, as Captain Picard was in the transporter room saying goodbye to Timison and wishing him well on his like journey, um, Loaxana came in and Timison was like, Loaxana, what are you doing here? Like, we had already said our goodbyes. And she was like, I know that it's a custom for like loved ones to be present at the resolution. So I'm coming with you. And I don't know if you noticed this, but her whole persona was more muted. Her, mm-hmm. her dress and her costume was very muted. She just looked like she was wearing like a traveling cloak. And that was it with like a little silver pin in it or something. Just like very, very simple. And she told Picard, like, I promise no, I won't cause any trouble at all. And this was the first time that Luxana promised not to cause trouble. And I actually believed her. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote in my like, note, did Picard, did Picard really believe her? Because <laughs> she's never been trustworthy when she's said something like that before. But this time, like you could tell everything about her was very serious and she was just going to be there to support him. And I really, and again, that's another thing that made me like her in this episode. Yeah. She didn't, she She was like, she didn't didn't tantrum at this point. She's already said, okay, he's decided what he's going to do. I can't change his mind. So I'm going to support him. And that's what a good partner does in, you know, within reason. And in this case, this wouldn't be reasonable for our culture because it'd be like, what are you doing? But in their culture it's totally reasonable for her to be there during the ceremony. And again, even though the rest of his family and friends are going to be like, who's this lady? Um, The two of them will know. And I think that's really, really special that not only will he have everyone who he's known and loved his whole life, but he'll also have this woman he fell in love with in the last week of his life, which is just really beautiful. And did you notice they beam down holding hands? (sighs) Yeah, that was really sweet. It was really sweet. And like, that's where the episode ends. Um, and like, I hate that, like, he's still going to do the resolution, but I also like really appreciate why he's doing it. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. that in our culture, that would not be like acceptable, but I also really understand that like, it's his cultural beliefs that he has grown up with and instilled Mm -hmm. in his kids and grandkids, et cetera. And like, there is something beautiful about, Um, There was a really famous story several years ago about a woman 
who had terminal brain tumor. Um, it was brain cancer and it was terminal. And she did, she only had like six months to live or something. And she had lived like a really happy life. And she chose the time and place of her passing. And it was one of those, like she had to fight for a while for this, like this, like right to die law in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Um, and she ended up like choosing to die before the symptoms became like really apparent, but she got like second, third, fourth, fifth opinions. And it's like, yeah, no, it's definitely going to dang take you really quickly. And it was like, I think she started waiting. She waited long enough to like experience some like truly lovely things with her husband. And then like she chose to basically undergo like this ritual and like, it was really sad. And also like allowing her to die, like with With dignity dignity. on her terms. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, my dad passed of cancer at 57. So he wouldn't even reach the age of the resolution and the cancer came on very quickly and he died within just a couple of weeks, but it was a really horrific number of weeks where like, if he had kind of been like mentally present, he mm-hmm. would have been so like upset with Unhappy the quality of the his situation. life. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, unha- I mean, it was like, you're wetting the bed and mm-hmm. like, you're, you know, it's just like all these things that like most of us would just like die. Of it's that lack over, of dignity. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the lack of dignity. But it also really, you're not really aware enough to know that you, it's a lack of dignity, but if exactly. you did know, you would know that's not the way you want to go out. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So I think that like, I really appreciated like why he did this. Well, I was just going to say on that same note of, of his choices, had he chosen not to do the resolution and let's pretend like his planet didn't start war with the Federation as a result. Yeah. And he just went off as a fugitive. What kind of life would that be? It comes back to the question yes. I asked you earlier about, would you leave your home when it's your home and it's part of your identity. And I agree with you that I believe that home is more than a place. Home is people to me. Home is people. Yes. It's yes. the people you call home. And if yeah. you have those people, home could be a star base. Home could be a different planet. Home could be a different mm-hmm. city, a different country, a place where they speak a different language, but that could be home. So to me, the thought of him being all alone in the galaxy, never able to go back home because he's been, you know, if he decides not to do this and to seek asylum, he can never go back to his people. Sure, he'll have Luwaxana, which is beautiful, but he won't have anything else. Like, and you need a support system. As, as humans, we need a support system more than just a spouse or more than just a kid or more than just a best friend. We need a whole community. That's how we were created. So yeah. that thought of him never being able to go home, not knowing what was going on with his kids or their kids or his best friends back at home or his uncle or that favorite cousin yeah. and all that stuff. It yeah. was just like, yeah. What what's even the point then? If he extends his life by one year, five years, twenty five years, but that's the quality to me. That is a loss of home, and I thought that yes, awful. Yeah, I I agree. And he brought that up where he was like, okay, so let's say I don't do the resolution and I go off and marry Luxon or whatever, but now what? Like I don't know anybody anywhere else. Mm-hmm. The Kalons are very isolationist, so it's not like you're gonna meet up with your Kalon buddies on like mm-hmm. Rigel Two, and and like that'll be fine. It's like you will now not have any contact with anybody you've ever known ever. And also, he's not the adventurous That's incredibly type. Lonely, no. just like he's not the the type to start a revolution. He's also because we've seen this in other episodes, mm-hmm. like in our first contact episode, the scientist who was like, "I'm never gonna be happy on my home planet." Like I I've always wanted to know what was in the stars. And yeah. now that we've seen your people, we were shutting down our space program and I will yeah. be miserable for the rest of my life. Right. And she's like, all I've ever wanted to do is explore other planets. So for her staying would have been torture. 
and leaving yeah. and joining the enterprise was like, now I can explore the whole world. And she kind of had the option to come back, I guess, if she wanted to, but like the exploration was what she was made for. This is not that guy. Like Timison is not that he does not want to explore the galaxy and meet new culture. Like that's not his thing. The whole, his whole life has been dedicated to saving his people and saving his planet. And then to just save himself, uh, that, and yeah, for his work no. to not do anything to help them, it's just very yeah. pointless. He, from his he did the, I, I mean, he ended his life so that his work can continue to save the planet because yeah. they basically said like, if you don't do the resolution, your name will like be stricken from our records. It's like, you never would have lived at all. Mm. Your research never would have never, it would be, it would be cold cased and like, that's it. And it's like, well, but my research is the best shot we have at saving this planet. So it just, if this was just a regular guy who wasn't charged with like saving the whole planet, it would be a sad story. But the fact that it's this, it's like, makes it so tragic. Mm -hmm. So I think we have so much to say about this episode and the like ideas that it really like circulates around because it was surprisingly good and deep. And I think that like, as much as I hate Luxana as a character, she was really relatable, Mm -hmm. you know, after her, temper tantrum in like the um transporter room like from that point forward she just became sort of this like woman who like loves this person and doesn't want them to die and that's so understandable Mm -hmm. and even like her tantrum and her tears those were relatable they were relatable knocking all the pads off the fucking table to like make a picnic (laughs) was like girl what the f that was typical lawaxana that was like the part of her that we loathe Yeah. But this episode brings up so many important topics. Like at what point are we not seen as people anymore and, and like not useful and we become a liability. And I think it also, for me, it brings up questions of like end of life care where like in, in the United States, end of life care is a fucking abomination. It's just awful. People are thrown into nursing homes that are understaffed under everything. Like they're just horrible. And then like, I think that there are a lot of other countries like Japan comes to mind as a country who really like does it better where the cultural difference is that like elderly are really, really respected Mm -hmm. and like they're never sent to like nursing homes unless you can absolutely help it. Like you move in with your children and they take care of you and they're Mm -hmm. honored to do so because you raise care of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's seen very much as like circle of life. Whereas in the United States you get old and it's like, you know, you're just sort of dumped on a street corner somewhere and it's awful. There's no dignity in it. And I think it's really sad. So for me, this episode brought up issues that are so much bigger than Star Trek, which I really, really loved. I really did. Yeah. How same. About you? Do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, same. And I, I usually like the Trek episodes that talk about a really important topic, but from a different perspective that we don't really see that helps us think in a different Mm -hmm. way. And I'm coming, what comes to mind is the episode symbiosis from season one, where we had the planet that was dying from a plague and the other planet that had the only cure or treatment, Mm -hmm. but it turns out really the planet was a planet of drug addicts and the other planet was a planet Mm -hmm. of drug dealers. And then it brought up this whole issue of like dependency and what's right or what's wrong, all these moral issues, but it did it in kind of a sideways manner that had you think about it totally differently. This one is very much more, head on. We are talking about Mm -hmm. death. We are talking about how the elderly are treated. However, the ideas presented in this episode where it's saying that, you know, killing people because they're 60 could be beautiful and wonderful and amazing and all these things. Mm -hmm. It's like saying it that way, which is actually a nice way to say it 
is what actually ruffled my feathers, right? Is what was actually like, what, wait, what? No. And I think also yeah. like you, I'm, I'm in my late thirties approaching 40 very quickly. And I'm like, 60 is not old at all. But when I was yeah. 17, yeah, 30 <laughs> was ridiculously old. So yeah. I think there is something about that too, where I'm like, 60 is not old at all. Like not even a little bit. Yeah. You may be starting to get some pains in your hips or whatever, but you're not done. <laughs> You're not done, you know, not you even close. Cease to contribute to society at all. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. No, like not even yeah. close. Not, not even close. close. And, close. That, and like, and, and I think though, too, it also brings the idea of like what age really means. Yeah. Because in the 80s, another show that I love, love, love is the Golden Girls. And in the pilot episode of the Golden Girls, the average age of the Golden Girls was like 55. And they all had like gray hair and mm-hmm. shawls and all this. And I was like, what the F? Like, you know, Jennifer <laughs> Aniston just turned 50 and she's posing half naked. And everybody's like, look how amazing she oh, looks, right? Or so J-Lo, like, right? J-Lo's yeah. performance where you're like, I wish I had that body at 30 that she has at 50. Dang, girl. Yeah, right? And she's like 50 something and she looks fucking ridiculous. And I don't even want to insult it and say she looks ridiculously good for her age. She looks, she looks ridiculously, ridiculously good. good. Period. 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 Yes. Yeah. When people say you look good for your age, you're like, ooh, um, ouch. <laughs> but but she looks yeah, good for so my think- age. <laughs> she's not. <laughs> Now she could do backflips around us and we'd be like, God, that looks like that would hurt a lot. So, (laughs) um, so yeah, no, it did bring up, it did bring up some really big topics. The other thing I think too, um, and then I'll wrap this up before this episode is like five hours long is that we are a culture that watch this episode and be like the ritual, what the, or like the resolution, like ritual suicide, like, no, 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 no. However, I think it's written so well that we understand before Timison understands that he needs to still do this. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that was amazing where like, it's like when somebody walks in with a long face and you just know that there's some bad news coming before they even open their mouth. It's the same way. Like he understood when the Kalons were like, all of your work will be stricken. It's like, Oh, this is looking bad. And then when the daughter comes in and it's like, where will you go? How will you live? Where will you die? We can't bear the thought of this happening. It's like the audience was like, Timison, mm-hmm. buddy, I think we all know this has to happen. So when he does agree to do it, isn't it amazing that from the beginning of the episode where you're like, what the what? This is so fucked up. And then at the end, you're like, yeah, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. That is like incredible writing. Mm-hmm. Incredible. I love it. Yes, this was a really good one. This is my favorite Lawaxana episode. I mean, I'll wait until we I'll wait till we finish the very last episode of the very last season to see if anything better happens. I'm like 99.99% sure it won't. Um no, this I was don't think so either. <laughs> and I didn't roll my eyes at her once. She has not bathed naked with a with a small child in a mud bath. So things are only gonna go go down from here. Seriously. <laughs> anyway. On that note. All right. Well, on that note. Next week, we are talking about a non-Luaxana episode, so we don't have to worry about her. Season 4, episode 23, The Host. Thank you so much for listening. We love having you along on our journey, Sharice. I love geeking out with you, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.